0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillan. With me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy—we're uh, done with the Liberty Football Contract Week. Where we won the second game of the Liberty Football Contract Week. Um, so the contract. happy, happy. Hugh free Freeze said the Cherry Dome is like the loudest place that's ever existed, even though there was only like twenty thousand people there at tops week. Three and one, halfway to bowl eligibility week as well. Good things. Yeah,
0: I'll I'll certainly take it. Obviously, three and one was kind of the bare minimum uh, that we needed out of September. And we certainly got that. Uh, And and I think, honestly, I thought we acquitted ourselves fairly well um, as as more distance, as we get more distance on it. uh, In the Rutgers game, I mean, we should have won the game, to be honest. And it's something we said after the fact. But we didn't. It happens, and I, I think we learned some things, at least given how we've looked better uh, you know, in, in the two games since on offense. I know that's not necessarily hard against Albany and, and the Liberty team that uh, I, I seemed at least underprepared uh, for, for what Syracuse is doing on offense, but I'll, I'll take it, and yeah, it'd be great to be 4-1 if we can pull it off here against Florida State, but we'll get to that in the second half of the episode.
1: Yeah, I think going into the year, you take, ultimately, I think you take 3-1, and one, assuming you split the games with Raptors Liberty, which were like the two hinge games. Um, obviously, it'd be a little nicer if like Ohio looked better, and it would be nicer if we didn't just completely uh, give away that Raptors game. But ultimately, like 3-1, and one, I think, was um, the really realistic target you set for bowl eligibility. Uh, 4-0, and obviously, would have been better, and certainly was, was feasible, given how that Raptors game went. But... Uh, you'll take it. And, and, and Liberty was like a good opponent, uh, on the field. We, we talked about it last week. Neither of us really expected a win. Um, the coaches really threw them a huge curveball. I think the Jared Schrader thing, uh, while it was ugly at times, I think legitimately Liberty was not super well prepared for what, um, the offense would look like with him. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that needs to be the offense every week. I, I think, uh, Bay versus acknowledged as much, even though it sounded like he wanted to have a decision by now. Um, but overall, it worked. I mean, I think you saw some some much different things than what we saw with the veto. Um, I think it probably opened up the running game for Sean Tucker in a lot of ways. Um, it's obviously pretty handicapped uh, in terms of the passing attack. Schrader uh, just did not look uh, effective throwing much more than five or ten yards down the field, and that's that's certainly an issue that we need to to figure out. We can't just be one dimensional forever. But um, you'll certainly take it, and, and now we have a really big chance to take advantage of uh, a really down, um, a very much struggling Florida State team here who have not won a game yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get a little bit more in-depth on the Noles um, later on, but, but I definitely think that you know, th- th- this is a – given the schedule that we knew we had going into the season, I, I think if we could get to 4-1 and one, um, after those first five games, I, I think that's about a best-case scenario <laughs> that, that most could have imagined. Uh, I think a lot of folks didn't see Florida State being this bad, even if they weren't necessarily seeing them as, like, a great team. Uh, I I don't think Florida State's this bad. But, again, uh, we'll get to predictions and all that in the second half. Um, Dan, did you have, like, one big takeaway uh, from the Liberty game?
1: Um, I I think it was just – it's hard to say it was more of the same. It's just, like, our strengths are, like, so very much exactly what we thought they were. Um, Athletic play on defense. Uh, take away some things. Obviously, I think Liberty actually um, had more success than our cornerbacks than a lot of teams have. Malik Willis made some really excellent throws, especially down the stretch when they started to surge back. Um, but you, you may have an attacking defense. Marlo Wax obviously made his name known on the defensive end. And then Sean Tucker, like, you know, I, I keep thinking that eventually someone's going to figure him out. And obviously, the only time he's figured out this year is when we kind of took the ball out of the hands of the directors. Um, Sean Tucker is one of the best running types in the country. There's just nothing else to say. He's, he's unbelievable. So um, I think, like, we've seen Babers kind of tip his tap there where he's like, you know, we can't give, him to, give the ball to him 30 times a game. But I'd be shocked if there was a game going forward where Tucker didn't touch the ball at least like 18 times because he's just so dynamic, even with an offensive line that ball improved for sure from what we've experienced in the last couple of years. Still, like, uh, very much a work in progress. Definitely has its issues. Tucker is just so. His vision is so good. He is able to make something out of, like, very small holes. Um, he doesn't really make mistakes in terms of bouncing something outside when he shouldn't or or, or not missing uh, an opportunity where there's some space for him to create something. Um, and he's just so explosive once he gets to that second level. And you saw the best of what he can be against Liberty. Obviously, all the Albany game, was, like, the daughty stats, but it's easy to dismiss. Um, even like a five touchdown game, like it's, it, you shouldn't be able to dismiss that. But a lot of people did, this was a, a different below the FCS team. Um, Liberty was getting like a lot of respect. And I think we've kind of caught um, a lot of people by surprise by beating them. And I think Tucker's starting to get that national respect. Obviously everyone saw the Robert Griffin tweet, which is cool. Um, yeah, time will tell if he remains in like, even the fringes of the Heisman conversation, I think I saw his odds were like 14th or 15th best in the country, which is pretty crazy. Um, but it just starts, it's becoming very hard to deny what he's doing because every time we give him uh, the workload that he should get, he is so dominant and is just such a natural uh, explosive. Like every buzzword you can come up with for a running back is he filled it. So uh, more of that, please.
0: Yeah, I'll certainly take that. And honestly, like, you know, Tucker getting Heisman odds uh, this far into the season. I know it's not that far. And, and realistically, like, you know, Dungy probably had something along these lines um, during the 2018 season. But realistically, like, if Tucker can, can touch the ball 18-22 to times a game, uh, that's probably what we, we'd like for him. I, I think, you know, Abdul Adams has definitely emerged as the, what seems like the definitive number two now, and that uh, spurred Jarvie and Howard to, to uh, elect a, enter the transfer portal. Um, bummer to see him leave, but definitely seems like, you know, we, we, we said this early in the season, there was definitely going to be a pecking order that would emerge. Uh, I I think that, yeah, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see Tucker leaned on a little bit less than we saw in the Liberty game. But at the same time, like really, that was the only offense we had in that second half was, was just what Tucker was doing with the ball. And it really helped, um, you know, stave off that, um, that that Liberty comeback and ultimately helped set up the the field goal to win it from Andre Schmidt. I, I, I think for me, like, and, and we don't have to get into the whole forty-four conversation, but I do think that Tucker has definitely cemented his, his, his bona fides at this point in terms of, of wearing the number. You know, Dino Babers addressed it this week with media. Tucker addressed it with media. Definitely seems like a conversation that's starting to bubble up in the right the right direction. But you know, Tucker is, is right now so far been one of the best running backs in, in, in the country, and that that's you know pretty impressive to to, to say in, in earnest uh, here. And, and and you know you can't just discount. Uh, those numbers, because of, of of who he faced. A, he didn't face it, you know, as bad of opponents as people might try to spell out. But also, like, if you look at the history, um, most of you know a lot of SU's top rushing performances in school history have been against poor opponents, and and that's not to discount those um, instances, just to say that like that's a lot of schools that like yeah you you have a running back who who will pick up you know twelve hundred yards in the season, and oh six hundred of those were against like you know, the dregs of their conference plus, you know, an easier non-conference schedule. Like, th- th- there's nothing to apologize about for there. Tucker shouldn't have to apologize for, for it either. Um, and, and, and really, and I said this in the comments um, on Wednesday, like, there, we have a lot of, we have hundreds of running backs probably to play at SU that haven't been able to put those numbers up against the dregs of the schedule. Uh, and, and you could say that about hundreds of running backs around the country every season. So I, I don't think Tucker should apologize for it. I think Tucker's accomplished a hell of a lot. Um, and, and and I think that ultimately, like, you know, 44 or not, he, he, he's already well on his way. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the mild injury he suffered um, against uh, Liberty doesn't, like, stick around. But realistically, he, he's already accomplished quite a bit um, as, as a player at Syracuse. And, and hopefully the accolades just keep coming his way. Again, 44 or not. And I do hope that, that, that the 44 conversation does um, get put to rest um, in, in the affirmative, in, you know, before the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been on the pro, bring it out of the rafters, making a living, legacy type deal for a long time. I think there's been no one that that is more worthy. Um, and we had some really good running backs. I mean, my freshman year, Trenton Brinkley had a thousand yards. Um, we've obviously gone from there all the way to like Moniel a couple of years ago. Um, we've had some really good backs in that time. I think Tucker is right there with all of them, if not better. Um, I think, like, the fact that he just seems like a really good dude, very humble, obviously his Twitter presence is uh, extremely pure and lovely, um, and we all love it, Um, doesn't hurt. uh, But, like, it just seems like he's the kind of guy um, that people would be proud of giving that jersey to. And if you're going to bring it out of the rafters, like, when the guy can run for 200 yards and four touchdowns, and also, like, seems like pretty exemplary off the field as well. Like, you know, if you're going to do it, it seems like that, you know, there's, there aren't very many better opportunities, especially if you are not going to do it, use it as like the pure recruiting tool and it's going to be something that has to be earned. We talked about this last week, but, um, I'm fine making it like kind of a blended thing where like it's recruiting in that like someone knows the opportunities there for it, even if it's not being handed it. Like, you know, do wanted for Robert Washington a few years ago or whatever. Um, and you know, luckily, luckily we didn't do that. So that obviously didn't work out. But, um, with, with, with Tucker, like, it's cool that he seems to know the history behind it and embraces that he mentioned beating Floyd Little when he was uh, a recruit. Um, Dino, without like fully saying it, has kind of hinted pretty explicitly that he would like to do it. Um, I think it would be a full opportunity for him, especially as someone who's like, you know, his own his own Syracuse legacy is kind of hanging in the balance. And I think being able to maybe give some like juice to the program by bringing 44 out of the rafters would be uh, something that, while you know, it's not going to mean that if to win the losses on the field, it could really get the uh, the fan base fired up and really getting behind a team that is off to a good start. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. I, it seems like there's so much I'm building in that direction, probably more than we've had since the, you know, quote-unquote committee or whatever was formed under Doc Gross. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm excited about it. But, uh, you know, overall, uh, Sean Tucker can go out there every week and, like, make his case, even if he you know, does, doesn't want to answer questions about it every week because um, eventually his play is going to be so overwhelmingly good that he can use on the, the, the run he's at um where it's going to be hard to deny if it's something that everyone wants
0: very much agreed uh dan before we get to halftime did want to talk quick about some uh, men's basketball recruiting i know that that was it's been on everybody's mind uh for some time especially after kamari lands uh decommitted uh, last month but we got news that peter Carey, is a power forward slash center uh from massachusetts is going to be coming aboard at Syracuse. He's a seven-footer. He's 210. So while that doesn't sound like a lot, and it isn't uh, from a weight perspective, he's also coming in a much higher weight than a lot of big men um, at Syracuse recently. And, you know, again, it doesn't put this class over the top by any means. We still have more work to do um, to add to him and Justin Taylor and Kadiar Copeland. But at the same time, there's, it's good to get, at least a big man um, in the door. And, and, and some folks think that he could be a bit of a sleeper um, here as he, you know, kind of rounds into his, uh, a, a bigger guy in his senior season. And, and again, somebody that, well, I don't see him producing right away for Syracuse. He's somebody who, um, you know, could have a, I would, I wouldn't compare him to Rocky Christmas, but somebody who could round into a, a guy later in his career at SU um, to be an anchor for, you know, the zone and and a potential offensive threat as well, which would be, uh, you know, a welcome change.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things, like, obviously, I'm if, if the coach is, like, a, a, pro, a project player like him, I'm totally fine with taking a shot on him. Obviously, we have the scholarships for it. Um, you know, he's probably not going to be a guy who steps in and plays right away. Uh, but, you know, we have a nice little class through gear in general. Now, if they go out and add – um, a JJ Starling or uh, or a Chris Bunch to the mix, then you're like, a class, you you know, you have your your three, uh, four or five star guys, and then you have a project center, and you're like, okay, this is a nice mix. Um, if he was like our only commit, I think it'd be kind of a kind of a concern, but like as it is, I, I'm totally fine taking shot on guys. Obviously, you know, we've we've had some some big hits and sit misses with these kind of project type centers, but. Um, if it works out, I mean it, it's it's a big piece to have. It's hard it's a hard piece to fill as well. So, um, ultimately, totally fine with it. Uh, not like you know jumping out of uh out of the roof, but but I'm happy he's on board. Uh, and it's a guy who the churches totally uh totally wanted. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be taking him on at this point.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, ultimately, like you know, Syracuse and and most big programs aren't in a situation where they have to take guys um anymore just to fill out a class when they can potentially mine the transfer market and stuff like that. So I, I do wonder if we end up getting two more players here to make it a five-man class or if this turns into a, a four-plus-a-transfer situation. Um, obviously, SU still on numerous guys. I, I think that it'd be nice to land somebody else who's a bit of a blue chip uh, just to make us all feel a little bit better, again, after losing lands. But at the same time, like I, I, I do feel like this is still a class that that looks more, I wouldn't say more like a Syracuse class, but at least resembles maybe some of the better classes of the last decade in terms of just guys that fit the system well.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think like you can really kind of place a lot of the players that we were bringing in on like a, a spectrum of Syracuse recruits of years past and like see where they kind of fly it in. And obviously like there's, there's no guarantees and, you know, a lot of these classes, will have hits and misses. But overall, you can kind of see the what Bayheim and staff are going for. And I think that should be pretty comforting, especially because we do have, like, the bigger stars, both in Benny Williams in 2021 and then a J.J. Taylor uh, in this class. And then, obviously, right, there are a couple of outstanding guys we hope to bring up. Indeed.
0: So, Dan, uh, I guess getting to halftime here, what have you been drinking?
1: So I was uh, on the Southern Tier, uh, land of speedies and uh, Southern Tier Pumpkin. Um, I did have my first uh, Pumpkin of the year, which is very exciting, delicious as always. Also had some post pum- uh pumpkin, uh, which I think one of the more underrated other ones. Um, had some Ethic Flower Power, which is always very good, uh, right from, from near the source. She um, randomly stumbled on uh, some non-beer. I randomly stumbled on some Pappy Van Winkle, which was a... Uh, a nice surprise. Um, there you yeah, go. Yeah, so pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty good drinking weekend. I'm, uh, and then, what's Uh traveling from here? I'm going to Arizona tomorrow. So if anyone has a uh, Phoenix or Scottsdale area beer recommendations, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit any breweries for a wedding, but uh, I can definitely keep my eyes open.
0: Arizona Wilderness would be like the probably top brewery of choice in my mind.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely keep my eyes open then.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. I can send you some more uh, after this. But that Arizona Wilderness would be my top choice. Uh, on this end, I had a bunch of things uh, for the weekend. My parents are out here. It was my kids' birthdays. So uh, definitely had some more beer than maybe normal. Um, from Monkish, I had Dank Hamster. was a uh, German pilsner uh, from them. also had L.A. Hat IPA that, that they put out a few times. Dry Hop with Citra and Amarillo. It's very, very good. Um, I had uh, Alfredo. It was a uh, West Coast pale ale Uh, from Modern Times. I had their Sparkle Nectar Seltzer with mango, pineapple, coconut, and vanilla. That was super interesting. Uh, From Culture Brewing um, down in San Diego. They also have a Manhattan Beach location. I had their Keyhole IPA. uh, That was actually surprisingly really, really good. Um, I definitely have to get some more. It's a West Coast IPA with fresh grapefruit, Um, but it wasn't like overpowering or anything. Um, I had a coconut IPA from King Harbor, uh, which is right here in Redondo, um, and then I had from Beechwood. I had a Mocha Machine um, Imperial Coffee Porter uh, that was really good, and then from Celador, uh, I had uh, Mass. It was a uh, fruited sour, uh, so it was a really good uh, nectarine sour uh, from them that I had not had before. I've had the uh, the nectarines they use from Masamoto Farms in California. Uh, super good Um, and they only use them in like a handful of beers around the state a year Um, and this was one of the beers that uh that that received a shipment of them so very good i
1: love that i love nectarines and i don't think i've ever had a nectarine sour but i would absolutely
0: there's definitely like literally the only ones so monkish has them um i know celladors use them beechwood has like out here uh i think highland park has like there's a couple in NorCal. I think they get them too in San Diego. But yeah, it's definitely like there's not a ton of nectarine sours out there, and and the, and the ones that I'll drink are are the ones that use these these specific nectarines, and they're always great. Right. So Dan, obviously, uh, beer's not the only thing we're talking about here. We're also got the Florida State game uh, for Syracuse. Uh, SU Open is a four and a half point underdog. I think it's still around that there uh, line wise, if memory serves. Um initial thoughts, do you feel do you feel bummed that SU is a 4.5-point underdog to a winless team, or uh, are, are you acknowledging that there's more to this story and also we're on the road, so there's three, 3.5 points right there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's on the road. I think you have, like, the natural, like, Florida State's bad, but they can't possibly be 0-5 to start the year bad, and I also don't think people are totally buying – uh, Syracuse, even, you know, which is fair. Like, I, we beat Liberty. Liberty was really nice. We got a lot of credit for it. Um, but you can also look at Jared Trader throwing for, like, less than 100 yards and looking at an offense that seems pretty one-dimensional at this moment uh, with some quarterback questions and off line questions. And I can see why you still give Florida State the edge there, uh, especially given the talent, um, given the fact that, like, you know, it, it, they're, they're so strange because they really did – Almost beat Notre Dame to start the year, and Notre Dame looks pretty good. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to like shake the feeling that they're not as bad as they looked recently. At the same time, like we saw um, what happens on the Florida State team start spiraling in 2018. Um, we've taken advantage of it before, uh, so it, it's and then it, it looks like that's what's happening here. Like that Jacksonville State loss is bad on the Hail Mary. It seems like they've kind of just gone down from there. Um, Obviously, like Wake Forest is pretty good. We've been high on them all year, but like they got by like drummed by Wake Forest uh, on the road. Um, it's it's just it's hard not to. I, I get why the why the line is what it is, but like at some point, Florida State just has to be accepted for what they are. They're just not a different
0: team. Yeah, I mean that that, that that Notre Dame game to start the season definitely created some different vibes for me and everybody else. You know than than what we've seen so like since then realistically like i i think somewhere between you know this game and the, the jacksonville state loss is, is the truth about about the knolls this year and that, that doesn't mean they're going to be a bowl team um especially starting on four but it, it does mean that they, that they should be um you know a, a team that, that challenges for the most part and can win maybe you know three or four games on the season and, and that's that's not acceptable to, to FSU fans. It's not acceptable for what this program is capable of and, and, and its abilities uh, that we've seen at the highest level. But I, I think that anyone fooling themselves into thinking that, zero oh, and four is like, you know, what this, the, this FSU team is, is, is definitely kidding themselves. I, I think that this team has a lot of talent. I think that Mike Norvell has mined the transfer portal more than most um, over the last couple of years. I think that, there's benefit to that if you hit on it. I think that there's a downfall, though, if you don't have necessarily, like, the cohesion um, that, that, that may be a team, even like a Syracuse, you know, that has a lot of guys returning from last year, um, that, that you're able to kind of generate that, you know, team play and and, and everybody kind of knowing their roles within the system. Um, it's a lot harder to do that um, when, you're, when you're a bit of a revolving door. And, like, you know, Mackenzie Milton, like, star at UCF and and obviously, you know, a, a bad injury for him um at, at UCF is kind of what led him to ending up um at Florida State. And and he he hasn't necessarily been the same player here so far. And part of that's the line. I think it's it is unacceptable to me. Like like we've complained about F- about Syracuse's line issues, but to see FSU have a, a, an offensive line issue as bad as they have for what, four plus years now, uh it's pretty wild um but that a school like them can't uh seemingly address their problems um in, in in the trenches uh on the offensive side at least.
1: Yeah, like their offensive line probably hasn't been as bad as Syracuse's last couple of years, but when you take into account like the amount the, the the average athlete that Florida State has access to versus the average athlete that Syracuse has access to, um, it's probably a bigger concern, honestly. It's been and it just dates back to like Jimbo last year. Um even those last two years. Like and I know the recruiting there really hit like a hit like, a a hard stop when Fisher just seemed to lose interest in the job and he was already flirting with Kip's A&M. Obviously Taggart didn't get things going. And then Norvell trying to dig himself out of like basically two really bad, um, the end of one tenure that was really bad and then a whole tenure that was bad. So he's in like a really tough position. Um, And we've we've seen personally uh, how tough it is to get the offensive line to a place of like decent, uh, you know, decent play and depth and everything else. at the same time, that could be real trouble for them this weekend because the defense defensive front is playing really well. Um, obviously, Cody Roscoe has emerged as as a, a serious playmaker for them. Um, you still have a Marlowe who does it all up uh, in, the, in the second level or in the, the linebacker core. Um, but it, it, you know, Syracuse front has really come to play in recent weeks, and if Florida State offensive line is not going to take a major step forward this week. Like I could see that being a real issue, um, especially but with how unsettled that offense has been. Because like if they're if they're going like at a decent pace like just J. uh corbin has some really effective he's averaging over nine yards carry three touchdowns on the year um they can run the ball a bit um but uh they really haven't been able to hit in a rhythm as uh, with the passing attack at all like they're averaging six and a half yards per attempt uh millen's at under six um they They've throwing more interceptions and touchdowns it's like if we can get them into those passing situations and in those uh those third and longs and, and just uncomfortable situations uh, late in the town. Like, it's, it could get pretty ugly for them because Syracuse is a defense that, you know, as you've seen the last couple of years, um, will take advantage of those situations.
0: Yeah, I mean, realistically, th- this is a lot like, um, you know, what you and I were talking about before the Rutgers game uh, in terms of Rutgers defense. Like, if Rutgers could force us to pass, that was kind of the end of the game. Uh, and, and, and Rutgers never did force us to pass. We just decided to on our own. Uh, <laughs> here, I, I think Florida State, like, if we can force Florida State the pass, if we can get them, you know, kind of behind the eight ball and, and of course McKenzie Milton make some plays uh, behind a, a poor offensive line. I think that sets up really well for Syracuse. The, the, the big issue, and we'll get to, to Florida State's defense in a second, um, is going to be whether SU can run the ball. I, I think, you know, SU right now is number four in the country uh, in terms of tackles for loss. Uh, they have 39 on the year so far. Uh, four behind Auburn, who's uh, in first with 43. LSU is 42. Fresno has 40. Um, So SU's at 39 tackles for loss. Uh, This team has been incredibly impressive, uh, despite really not bringing like a ton of pressure um, from the front three. And that's something that you and I talked about before the season started uh, of of just how this team generates more pressure up front and takes some pressure off the linebackers and allows them to make some more plays in space. I I think you saw a lot of pressure from Cody Roscoe last week against Liberty uh, that really kind of freed up Mikel Jones to just stalk the hell out of Malik Willis. Uh, and, and, and kind of uh, created, uh, well, at least made Christian sound uh, <laughs> a, a, a bit uh, prophetic in terms of what how he saw that game going, where it really was at times, you know, a Willis versus Mikel Jones uh, matchup. But you look up and down this roster for SU, uh, you have what, seven players with at least two tackles for loss. Cody Roscoe leads the way with eight. Kelt Jones has uh, six and a half. Marlo Wax, four and a half. Josh Black, three and a half. Um, and then sorted, uh, a group of others uh, between two and two and a half. But um, this SU team is definitely going to be able to get after Florida State. The question is going to be whether or not um, the ground game for them can punish um, some aggressive play from SU. And SU hasn't necessarily um, been – they've been aggressive, but they haven't been as reckless maybe as in previous years where they're just blitzing nonstop. As You've seen them really pick their spots, choose a bunch of different looks. Um, but like you said, I mean, Ja'Sean Corbin – nine, 9.15 yards per carry, but then also Trayshawn Ward, uh, you know, 6.26 yards per carry as well. Like that, that's a pretty solid two headed monster. And if they can get rolling and I'm sure that they're going to start the game by really trying to establish that run game against Syracuse and tiring down that front, like that could cause some real problems for the orange. I, I think that ultimately this is going to be a bit of a ball control game for, uh, for no matter who wins. But I, I think the more, this defense is on the field for Syracuse, the more we could start seeing some bigger runs broken late. Um, And that was something that um, Liberty started to show some signs of, and it really wasn't for a fumble. Who knows what would have happened? Um, I'm definitely concerned, though, between the run game of Florida State and then how Florida State um, on the defensive side is able to contain um, SU's rushing attack.
1: Yeah, in terms of, like, the strengths, I actually think Florida State – what they do well uh, isn't a great match for Syracuse um, because, as you've alluded to, like their their run defense is pretty good. Neither Wake or uh, Louisville rush for more than four yards to carry. Um, both quarterbacks were pretty efficient. So it, the question is, like, I know it's pretty much been said that Derek Trader's starting this week, basically won the game last week, and whatnot. You know, the longest uh, drop back uh, passes have been a struggle for him too, uh, in large part because of opposing pass rush. But it's, it does stare me a bit because it's not like either Wake or Louisville who both, you know, Wake won comfortably. Louisville was up big and Florida State kind of fought the way back but never was able to like truly get there. Neither of those teams just like ran the ball down Florida State's throat. They, the the Seminole defense held up pretty well enough to run both games. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a concern. At the same time, like, you know, maybe we jump on them early. Maybe we keep them in a position where they can't really run the ball. I think that's You know, it's easy to say, but that's kind of a a key for SU as well. I think if we can get up early like we did against Liberty, uh, obviously we let Liberty come back a bit. But um, keeping the ball out of those Noles running back's hands, making Milton try to beat uh, a pretty aggressive Syracuse defense, um, I think it's it's the pathway here for SU.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, you look back at, like, even the first play from scrimmage for, for SU, like, Trader had a man wide open down the field. Uh, and DeVito and probably would have hit that throw. I hope Schrader and they're working on, you know, some more downfield accuracy for him um, here, because obviously like Florida States uh, passing defense right now, they're ranked 116th in the country, allowing about 283 yards per game, uh, 63% completion rate against them uh, for 1,131 yards, 7.9 yards um, per attempt, which is not great. <laughs> um, and ten touchdowns against them versus two picks. Um, this is definitely a group that that, that you're going to be able to uh, attack. But is Schrader the guy to do it? And and, and I, I would vote, at least from what I've seen so far, no. Um, if only because he he's, he definitely hasn't excelled at hitting players in stride, hitting guys downfield. I know there's been some short throws, some overthrows, um, and, and and these are throws that, that that we've seen DeVito hit. Maybe not with the consistency we would have liked, but. Um, these are throws that we have seen and hit, We you know, we can hit. Um, I, 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 think that ultimately, like if, as you can move the ball through the air, I think they win this game, but I think that to get those open looks, it's going to require the run game to work. Cause if, if you can get Florida state or any opponent for Syracuse, you can get any opponent to stack the box, or Florida state in particular to stack the box and, and really dedicate themselves, um, to stopping the run, Sean Tucker, while we want to see him put up big numbers. If he can if he can occupy eight defenders, um, you're going to have options, you know, downfield and really just depends on whether the play calling and, and Trader in particular um, are able to take advantage. And, and I'm not so sure if the Trader can, um, which is why I would go with DeVito like you. But ultimately, SU is going to have opportunities to complete passes here. And I, I just really hope they can do it.
1: Yeah, and even if, if Trader starts the game, like I, it wouldn't shock me if if Babers is a pretty quick cut. It seems like Babers just how did going go out there and figure out what quarterback is going to play in a given game based on matchups? And like that seems super. I don't know. I don't love it. It makes me very nervous. Well, I hate but that. But yeah, <laughs> I, it, it, it like I'm I'm a total subscriber to like if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks thing. As stupid and mehedy as that sounds, like. I just – there there aren't that many. like When you compare, like, the all of the multiple quarterback situations across, like, recent college football history, there are so few where it just worked out really well. Like, there's always a guy who ends up being better and wins the job or and the, the offense just looks better with him in and maybe there's, like, blips in the other direction. But, like, there are so few situations where, like, like yeah, it was a two-quarterback system and it made total sense the whole time. Uh, even with two players as different as Schrader and DeVito, Um, And, like, I'm not going to deny that Schrader, I think, opens up on things in the run game. I think the fact that he is um, a threat to pull it on the read option every time and is a more natural um, kind of one step and go through the whole runner than DeVito is, even if DeVito may be, like, just as fast. Um, I do think that has, like, major implications for the defense, and it definitely could help Sean Tucker. But if they're stacking it in the box and they can just attack Schrader on the read option anyway – then you're, you know, that, that takes away the advantage there. And if Schrader can't reliably hit a deep ball, that takes away a lot of the advantage. So if he was like, you know, not super accurate, but like was a legitimate threat to, to hit something over the top if you uh, creep a safety up and Tosh Harris just gets behind the defense, totally get it. It's just like we haven't seen it. It's hard to, it's hard. You, that's, that's like you're going with like faith without evidence, Lil Baber's mantra there. When DeVito, while not super consistent and not having a lot of great opportunities, we have seen it. Like, we've seen him complete impressive downfield pros uh, a number of times. We know he has some kind of potential with Tash Harris. Um, and we know that that is just as important in terms of opening up to the main rushing attack from Tucker. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, if it works, I'm not going to complain. Um, but if we have another game where Schrader just cannot hit the ball, like, just hit anything down the field, and Tucker ends up getting bottled up because he has nowhere to go, and he ends up with, you know, four yards of carry, and, you know, fit tops out at 82 yards and Schrader's throwing for 120 yards, like, then I think we really need to rethink things. Um, if if Schrader has a lot of improvement, I have no problem. I don't really have a, a horse in the race. Like, I've been pretty pro, like, hey, I don't know that is really the worst option here, but that's only based on what we've seen. Like, I, if Schrader just goes out there and lights it up, I'm totally fine making the switch. Uh, totally, like, no problem for me. But, uh, it, like, just even in the win in liberty, like, there's a lot of concern over – um, it's all been becoming really one dimensional. I just don't think we're going to have a ton of success, even if it's like a pretty uh, iffy ACC schedule overall.
0: Yeah, I agree. Ultimately, like, it, it, if it's who's playing best, I don't think Schrader's played better than Tommy. Um, and also, like, if the thing is that this passing game wasn't working with, with DeVito out there, I, I'd argue it also isn't working uh, with Schrader out there to a different degree. I think that the, the play calling for Schrader has been more interesting. Than um, it has been for Devito, and I think that, that that isn't the it's not to remove Devito's faults at all from the conversation, but it is to bring them up at least in in context of like, well, how much is just the framing what he's given? Uh, I I think that ultimately neither player is is you know an NFL quarterback, and 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 we do have to be honest with ourselves there, and we do have to be honest with ourselves in terms of okay, so clearly something's not working with recruiting, um, and, and we've discussed this at you know at nauseam in, in uh, off season that like. Keep continuing to swing and miss on high-level quarterback prospects um, is not great, and and I think that you're seeing the results of several years of that um, here. And that's not to say that that, that Tommy and, and Trader aren't capable college um, football quarterbacks. They are, uh, but but capable has a very broad um, definition, I, I I would say. And and I don't think that I don't think Eric Dungy should be the the, the standard either for what works at Syracuse. But you can have a workable player um, who puts up decent numbers and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's even 2,500 passing yards um, and and 18 touchdowns. Like that's feasible if you have Sean Tucker uh, under center. So with that rant out of the way, I guess, Dan, what would be your prediction for this game?
1: Um, I'm going to stay optimistic. I could see this going the other way again, once again. Um, But I think Florida State is like really kind of in shambles. Um, just reading between the lines, there was stuff that came out after the Jacksonville State game about how the locker room was really a mess. Um, Norvell, just like I feel bad for him, so I think he inherited in a really brutal situation. But the stuff that comes out of that, uh, the press conferences every week is just like classic scrambling to try to salvage a job thing. Um, a lot of that kind of talk. So um, I think Syracuse just has this opportunity to take advantage of this team went down once again like they did in twenty eighteen. Um, I think, uh, we'll figure something out at quarterback. I, I, you know, if anyone gets who it will be, but I, I do think with like a week under our belt here to, uh, to kind of continue moving forward with some positive momentum behind them, I think we'll, we'll see something good here. Um, I'm going to take a close win. I'm going to go, uh, Syracuse, I'm going to go, uh, 28, Florida State 17.
0: All right. You, you, You got some confidence in the orange.
1: We got yelled at last week for picking against them, so don't, don't yell at us if we lose now. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> uh, well, well, maybe just don't yell at you because, because I have a brand to uphold. Um, I, know so, you,
1: I know you subsist on people yelling at you, John, so yes, yell at John.
0: It, it, it's my goal in life to have people yell at me. Um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't trust this offense yet, and I don't necessarily know that this staff knows what to do with this offense other than hand the ball to Tucker, um, especially once you get past the first quarter. So realistically, I'm going to say that SU can't slow them down on – SU can't slow down Florida State's run game enough, and Tucker gets bottled up to some extent. Not, not not to say he's like completely shut down, but he's bottled up enough, and SU can't take advantage of um, passing op- opportunities downfield. And I think ultimately, this one comes down to maybe a, a, some sort of mistake, and, and, and you see you see the Orange fall by like a 27-23 score. I think Vegas actually has this one pretty well pegged um, in, in terms of the outcome. And I, but at the same time, like, while it would be annoying to lose a game that close and, and winnable game on the road, I also think we'll, we'll maybe learn a few more things about what SU is and isn't, and, and losing this game could ultimately help them um, in, in the long run in, in terms of figuring some things out uh, about the offense and, and fixing some, some elements of it.
1: Yeah, I think that the bright side is just, like, isn't really – we're out of, like, must-win territory for the time being. Like, you can – ACC is so muddled that it's hard to say that a game is one you can't afford to drop or that a game is, like, total, uh, like, bonus. I think we're, we're just in a solid spot to, you know, pick up three, and you you got to figure out what those three are. Um, like, even Clemson is certainly not table based on what they are all look like. So, while I think uh, you don't want to be Florida State's first win of the year, um, again, very talented team. Uh, they're at home. They're going to be very desperate for a win. Um, so, you can't totally write it off. But um, I think, like, you know, losing a game on the road, especially if it doesn't look terrible, um, it's not the end of the world here. Uh, at the same time, you know, talk, talk to me on Saturday if I'm able to watch the game through this wedding, and uh, i may be pulling my hair out. So, um, it's, you know, uh, just like every week at this point. Like, you, you never quite know what you're getting with the Syracuse team, including who's playing quarterback. So, Fun times.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a throwback um, to some time ago. I, 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 I'm feeling more and more like like the late Schaefer years slash the Marone. Like it's a mix between Schaefer and Marone in terms of like the week to week peril um, and, and, and years off my life.
1: I mean, if we end up going to full time to Schrader and we figure some stuff out, like this will be the second time and not that long a period of time where we basically change the offense wholesale in the middle of the year. And uh, hopefully it works out as well as, uh, about as well as that did.
0: Yeah. Although ultimately I will say, I feel like there was a plan the last time, <laughs> like I feel like there was a plan. Well, there wasn't a plan with Hunt, but there was a plan. No. When we switched the offense, when we switched the offense in 2012, there was, there was a definitive plan about what was changing. When we switched to Hunt, there was no plan and it was just let's wing it. And then the wing it approach Continued through Dungy and even into the the next coaching era uh, for Babers, and and now I feel like this coaching staff is winging it to a disturbing extent for a coaching staff that is known for offense.
1: That's fair, and I do think like if Schrader works, um, it does seem like it might be a hey, we found uh, a player with some of the same attributes as Dungy. Let's just do some of the stuff that worked then, and hope it works now. Because obviously, the more like you know, the hand-picked quarterback didn't quite work out, and that's not the best sign, but ultimately, it's all football, and teams weird and win in weird ways all the time, so, like, I don't know how we're up to dead about it if, like, we just kind of discover some things about ourselves here based on, like, a weird quarterback situation.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, well, Dan, uh, anything else before we depart here?
1: No, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully, we get another, uh, I mean, 4-1 would be a really safe start to a very bizarre year, so let's, uh, let's keep it rolling, I guess.
0: More wins are always good. And uh, it means more people are listening and reading. So more wins, please, it would be great. Uh, (laughs) On that note, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and go orange. orange.